Good morning. I'm honored to be here and privileged to share the word with you this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online if you are doing so. I'm honored to be a part of this congregation, this body of believers. So we've been talking about truth and its impact in the world. And the sermon series is The Truth According to John. But in reality, it's the truth according to Jesus, just being recorded by John. Um, The word truth is used over 25 times in John's gospel. And the, the word that John uses that 25 and more times in Greek is aletheia. And it's from the prefix of a, which means without. If someone is asymptomatic, they don't have symptoms. If something is amorphous, it doesn't have a shape. So a without. And then the word lethia or lethia, depending on how you pronounce it, in Greek means to cover up or to conceal. So truth in reality, in, in the way that the Greek uses it, is without coverment, without covering, without concealment. It is open to be seen. Today we're going to look at John 8.32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But I'd like to jump back a few verses for some context. So let's turn to Genesis. And Dean is going to think that's a joke, but I actually do want to start in Genesis today. (laughs) I'd like to look at the fall of man and just how the devil used lies to enslave the human race. So the opposite of truth is a lie. And we'll see that starting in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate." A lie begins with the doubt of the truth. Indeed, did God say, did God, did God really say that? Was he, did he really mean you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Notice there's a, a little bit of a twisting of the truth, too. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, did he only say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Or did he, did he say you shouldn't eat from any tree? Because... He's twisting the truth, and and Eve actually corrects him right away. She says, from the fruit of the tree of of the garden we may eat, but not from that tree. But he's already laid the foundation of doubt in her mind. And so then it progresses to an outright rejection of the truth. With the goal, the goal here is a more favorable outcome, right? So 
He says, you surely will not die, rejecting the truth. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Living and not dying, that's a more favorable outcome. And being like God, and having your eyes opened, definitely a more favorable outcome than having your eyes closed. And being like God, knowing good from evil. Now, this word knowing has a deeper connotation than we initially think of when we, when we think of just knowing good from evil. They already knew good from evil. They knew that it was wrong. Eve knew that it was wrong to eat the apple. Adam knew that it was wrong to eat the apple. But Satan, the serpent, has tricked them into knowing good from evil and having moral autonomy, being able to make decisions of what is good and what is evil for themselves, saying, you will be able to determine good from evil. Not just know good and evil, but determine what is right and wrong in your own life. That sounds pretty good, but it enslaves us and entraps us in sin. Now, the rejection of the truth leads only to more enslavement. And it continues in verses 7 through 11. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They had to conceal themselves. They, had a, they, had living, they were living a lie, and so they had to conceal themselves. Further continues with concealment in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I concealed myself. The truth was not in me, so I concealed myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And we know that it goes on from there. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. A a pattern of lies, deceit, blame. If Adam had confessed, had owned up to his sin, had uncovered the truth and said, Yes, Lord, I ate the apple He would have received forgiveness at that point. And we may be in a different place today. You know, I, uh, sorry, uh, the lies give a mirage, a false sense of freedom. And in the end, they only cause enslavement. Enslavement to more lies and increasing rationalization of our sin. I sometimes, from time to time, follow the news in Oregon because that is my home state. Although, the more that I read, the less I want to be involved and associate myself with that state. I found an article that was written in September of this year about a measure that passed in November two years ago, 2020. So I will read from that article now. In November 2020, Oregon voters passed Measure 110, which decriminalized the possession for personal use of small amounts of all drugs, including 
cocaine, heroin, LSD, methamphetamine, and oxycodone. Oregon is the only state to have implemented this policy. Minor possessions in Oregon became a civil infraction on February 1st, 2021. Violators receive a citation and a $100 fine, which can be waived by calling a hotline to screen for substance use disorder. A year and a half later, critics call 110 ineffectual or even harmful, claiming the black markets remain vibrant. vibrant. The Republican and independent candidates for governor are calling for its repeal. The problem, however, is that 110 did not go far enough. While 110 eliminated serious penalties for personal use, it did not legalize production and sale of drugs. For example, manufacturing and distributing heroin is a felony punishable by up to 20 years in prison and a $100,000 fine plus twice the amount gained through dealing. Moreover, federal law still bans possession of all amounts of drugs. Thus, the black market remains because producing, selling, and even possessing drugs remains illegal. 110 was not designed to eliminate the black market. Its purpose was to stop criminalizing drug use and addiction and arrest fewer people. This means most standard harms from underground markets are likely to remain. Prohibition encourages violence, etc., etc. The article goes on from there. When I got to that sentence, I literally had to pick my jaw up off the floor. The problem, however, is that 110 did not go far enough. Did not go far enough. And I'm not, I'm not here and I'm not mentioning this article because I intend to turn this into a, a political stump speech. I'm not going to talk about the the dangers of marijuana legalization or drug use or anything. I bring up this article because it shows that when we embrace our enslavement to sin, as the world has done, there is never a stopping point. There's never, and it will never be enough. There will be never be a point where our sin nature says, you know, enough. Enough drugs, enough alcohol, enough pornography, enough whatever, enough pride, enough gossip. I'm done. I'm done. No, our sin, our sin nature buys into and repeats and repeats and never gets enough of that enslavement to sin. And the end result of lies is always death. And that is what Satan wants for us. He wants us to rot in hell with him. And if we buy into the enslavement of sin, we will. The prophet Isaiah called out the nation of Judah for embracing a lie that they thought would save them. In Isaiah 28, verses 14 through 19. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, And with Sheol, we have made a pact. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by, for we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. 
He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overtake the secret place. Your covenant with death will be canceled and your pact with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you become its trampling place. As often as it passes through, it will seize you. For morning after morning, it will pass through any time during the day or night, and it will be a sheer terror to understand what it means. Isaiah uses this language of a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a pact. He's talking to the leaders of Israel because they had made a political and military agreement with Egypt for protection from Assyria. Egypt. Literally the empire that enslaved them for 400 plus years. And they're asking for Egypt's protection from Assyria. Enslavement upon enslavement upon enslavement. When I read this, a proverb came to mind. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And, and Isaiah uses the, the term, a covenant with death. And with Sheol we have made a pact. Because these idol worshippers in Egypt worshipped, among other gods, multiples. But they worshipped Osiris, who was the god of death. They worshipped Seth who was supposedly his brother, who was the god of destruction. They worshipped death and destruction, among other things. And they, Israel was making, Judah was making a pact with worshippers of death and destruction. How did they think that it was going to turn out for them? He says, They made falsehood our refuge and concealed ourselves with deception. The result of lies is slavery to lies. And sin. And in verses 18 and 19, Isaiah prophesied that the Jews would end up in exile, and they did. Verses 18 and 19 Your covenant with death will be canceled, your pact with Sheol will not stand. And the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you become its trampling place. As often as it passes through, it will seize you. For morning after morning, it will pass through any time during the day or night, and it will be sheer terror to understand what it means. God canceled their pact with, with death and destruction. God did not allow Egypt to come to their rescue because he is their rescue. They had made pacts with other nations rather than going to the living God whom they had an actual covenant already in place with. They traded falsehood for the truth. And they remained in in exile because of it. But right in the middle of this terrible prophecy, we do get a a messianic prophecy in verses 16 and 17. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness 
the level. Christ is the cornerstone that Isaiah talks about in verses 16 and 17. So let's turn now to John 8, and we will start in 26. So Christ is is debating, although I don't really know if debating is the right term, but he's he's talking with the Pharisees. If, If that were a debate, it would be one side giving a Uh, lecture on the internal combustion engine and how it turns the wheels and the other side saying, I like trucks. So Jesus Christ is, he's schooling the Pharisees really with with logic and casting down their their arguments. Um, So let's pick it up in verse 26. I have many things to speak to judging Excuse me. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now their response in verse 33 in my opinion, is much like any good, red-blooded, patriotic American. We are free. Who are you to tell us otherwise? That's, that would be my reaction if someone said, you need to be free. I'm free. I'm, the Constitution says I'm free. But they're missing the point that he's making thinking he's only speaking in physical terms. But as always, Jesus is more concerned with our spiritual condition than our physical condition. There was a time in my life when I was physically free. I enjoyed all the privileges and benefits of a citizen of America without any encumbrances. But I was spiritually enslaved to my sin of addiction A little while later, I became a guest of the state, shall we say. I was physically incarcerated. I was not physically free. But I, during that time and now, am more spiritually free than I had been in a long, long time. It is possible to be physically free and spiritually enslaved. Likewise, it is possible to be physically enslaved, and spiritually free. And Jesus is asking them to be 
physically free, telling them they can be physically free. Verse 32, John's use of the word truth, it's not just in the general sense of the word. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Certainly knowing truth does make us more knowledgeable and therefore more free. But John is using this opportunity to point to the ultimate truth, the ultimate truth that Christ's sacrifice on the cross and resurrection is the only way that we can truly be free from the bondage, the enslavement to sin. But fortunately, the the benefit does not stop there. We, We benefit from his sacrifice even farther. In verses 35 and 36, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now, getting rid of a slave in Roman times, simply a financial decision. Slaves were property. Slaves were, in fact, many nobles valued their property, their actual land, and their possessions more than they valued their slaves. So getting rid of a slave would be an easy monetary decision. Getting rid of a son, impossible. I am the son of Michael Earl Harris of Canby, Oregon. I will always be the son of Michael Earl Harris of Canby, Oregon. And although I think there were probably times growing up that he would have rather not, be, not have, have me as a son. I will always be his son. If I changed my name to Thomas Aquinas, I'm still his son. If he had changed his name to Thomas Aquinas, I am still his son. My father's gone home to be with the Lord I am still his son. Death does not change that. And when I die, the obituary that's written for me, although short, will say that I was the son of Michael Earl Harris and Barbara Ann Harris. Nothing changes what a son to be put out from the house. However, a slave can be put out very easily. And if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And so our our invitation to the table comes as we see in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The Son, in that verse, notice the capitalized version. The Son of God is making us free. The Son, in in the previous verse, the Son remains forever. But the Son here is Jesus Christ making us free, inviting us to the table, inviting us, giving us an inheritance as heirs of the household. An amazing, an amazing analogy. You know, there, in that time, there was a, Free uh, slaves could become free, and they they had some rights as a freed slave and some privileges, but not like the nobility, not like the citizens. 
And we have been given that citizenship. We're not just freed slaves. We are citizens. We are sons and daughters of God, and we can never be gotten rid of. As we approach the Thanksgiving holiday, I, I think, of course, we need to be thankful for the country that we have been given. But I think it's important for us to show our thanks to God by taking full advantage of the benefits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the dead. If you're here this morning or if you're watching from home, you realize that you've never placed your trust in Jesus and claimed the spiritual freedom from enslavement to sin, now is the time. Today, don't let another day go by without being free from your enslavement to sin. And maybe you're like me, and you've sat in this very sanctuary or other sanctuaries throughout your life, having placed your faith in Christ, but you've not lived out the true freedom from bondage to sin that is available through Christ. If you are still trying to free yourself from your sin, it is impossible. The only way is to allow Christ to work in you and through you. The truth is, for every lie that we tell ourselves or those around us, and for every sin that keeps us enslaved, there is truth from Jesus Christ and from God's word that can set us free. And all we have to do is to reach out and claim the truth and the victory that he has already won for us. And we will be free indeed. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word that through it we can have a deeper relationship with you. Through it, we can be freed from our sin. The truth makes us free. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who conquered death for us and frees us from our sin. I pray, Lord, that we can carry this freedom to the world around us, a world that is hurting and enslaved to their sin. Help us to always show your freedom first and foremost. In your name I pray, amen.